ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek, 5 foot 11, 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous, 5 foot 11, 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication. Turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. And we're back with exciting news. Yes, we are now professional. We have a sponsor for the show, which is awesome for us, but even more awesome for you. Indeed, because who doesn't love a sweet, sweet online shopping discount code? And in this case, it's an online shopping discount code that gets you delicious coffee delivered to your doorstep. From our good friends, Prism Coffee, who are four Canberra lads who I've known for a while. Uh, who've all worked in and around the specialty coffee industry for some time now and now uh, out on their own they've got a roaster they're roasting beans uh, and just generally kicking ass with delicious coffee so john how do the people get this amazing discount you speak of go to their website which is prismcoffee.com.au pick from the couple of different blends and some single origins that they've got. You can get it ground, you can get it in whole beans if you prefer to grind your own. They've got all of the options. Uh, and then you use the code PEAKSPEAK in the discount bit of the shopping cart and uh, you'll get a sneaky 10% off and it'll rock up on your doorstep in some amount of time. I don't remember exactly what it is, but I think they express post everything, so hopefully quickly. Perfect. Amazing. And well, that's it. Without further ado, here's, here's the episode. Yeah. Enjoy. Presented by Thomas Lilly and John Sheridan, Baby Cry in the Background, not included. Without recording. Damn it, yeah. I forgot to grab the beer I was going to drink while we did this. No, it's okay. It'll just have to be a beerless podcast. Yeah, that's disappointing. Instead, you should have grabbed a coffee from our fantastic sponsors, Prism Coffee Co. Well, speaking of that, I actually stopped at the camping store on the way home from the gym today to buy a cast iron kettle uh, so that tomorrow when I take my new four-wheel drive out to get mud on its tires for the first proper time, uh, I have the ability to make coffee. So I'm going to take this kettle and my little camp stove and my Chemex and uh, get my pour-over coffee in the bush on. Cast iron kettle. Oh, I know what you're talking about now. Sweet. Yeah, it's a kettle made from cast iron. Yes, I can see it's for that. boiling water. <laughs> I thought it was like some sort of fancy coffee making apparatus, but it's literally no, no, it's literally just a kettle, just a kettle yeah. made from cast iron. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I've got a bag of Prism's Rakira, which I don't think they're doing at the moment. I think they're doing a Rakira Nat, something different. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's my go-to for uh, like black pour over coffee so yeah, you nice. do that in a chemex it's delightful i'm going to message them and ask for a couple of their different varieties because we've only had taxi so far yeah I, taxis are really solid uh all-round coffee that i just that's like my default and then i grab the other one sort of as i f feel the need will huxley be coming on the new on the journey in the new four-wheel drive he will, mostly because I think he's a little too attached to us to be left at home by himself for a whole day at the moment. Um, so, yeah, we're working on that. But, yes, 
There's a new dog in my life alongside a new car. It was a big day. We went to Wollongong and picked up a new car and a new dog. That uh, was fun. So the dog came from Wollongong as well? Yeah, yeah. It was just like a bit of a coincidence that he was in Wollongong uh, and we happened to be like, you know, it all sort of happened within four days or something. Yeah. Sim was like, oh, we found this dog. They're really cool. Sounds like he's going to be a really good fit. Uh fuck it, let's do it. And so four days later, we yeah, drove to Wollongong, picked up a car, handed over a check, drove around the corner, picked up a dog, got back on the highway and drove home. How did you find him? Uh, Sim found him on Gumtree. Okay. Uh, so the the woman who was rehoming him uh, had like four other dogs. Mm-hmm. I think they had like two Dachshunds, a Kelpie and a Great Dane. And the Great Dane was like, seven or eight or something and had been bullying him so he's getting picked on so he's got like a few scabs and scratches on his face and stuff like that uh which are healing because he's not being bullied anymore but um yeah he's just he's like one we weighed him the other day he's 48 kilos Mm. uh so he's still got some growing to do i suspect um but he's the softest most gentle big lovable idiot that i've seen in a while so uh now he's in a house where he's not getting beaten up all the time which is great (laughs) yeah good the cats have had a go at him a couple of times but you know that's how you learn he gets put in his place a little bit and life is good how how heavy is he we don't know 48 kilos so yeah yeah he um he's about as tall as zelda uh our last mastiff but a fraction lighter but i think he's going to be much heavier than her eventually because he's staunch <laughs> like he's he's got some serious sort of girth to him is he he's a drooly not as bad as as zelda was uh which is nice but yes i have been through a lot more outfits <laughs> on a daily basis over the last couple of weeks especially like the left shoulder of my hoodies because he rests his head on my shoulder as we're driving places um, but you know, they're all the, the minor downsides of having a giant dog in your house that is mostly upsides. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. How was your holiday, my friend? Yeah. Holiday is a funny word, isn't it? Because holiday implies that you're not working and the unfortunate nature of online work is that it follows you wherever you go. Mm. So my working holiday was, uh, was cool. The highlight being that I saw whales and I've never seen whales before. So take that one off the bucket list. That is exciting. Uh, do you know what kind of whales they were? Um, I would say oceanic whales. Um, oh, yeah, nice. Good. That's a, that's a really scientific description you've got there, Thomas. Well yes. done. Uh, I'm assuming humpback whale. Oh, the, the, one, the one we saw from the air was, was definitely a, a humpback whale. Um, yeah, right. And just the, yeah, the size, the magnitude of them. Oh, dude, it's crazy, right? Is, is insane. Yeah, the, the only yeah. whale that I'd seen prior is uh, when I looked in the mirror. So um, <laughs> it was nice to see one in real life. Yeah. Well, I mean, technically looking in the mirror is real life, but okay. Yeah. That's what makes it so hard. I can see one in the water then. You've never been swimming? Uh, um, I don't swim well, <laughs> ironic because i always end up at beachy places i didn't swim once while i was away really oh man i'm like within 100 kilometers of the ocean i'm gonna go jump in oh like uh in wollongong picking up that bench the other day huxley and i went for a little wander on the beach it looked like a seriously dangerous beach to swim at so i didn't swim (laughs) but i definitely got my feet wet yeah no i don't mind wading uh, but sw- swimming is, is not my jam. I, oh, I'm all about swimming in the ocean. That's I, great. I somehow, as in between sort of age 10 when I did sw- swimming at primary school and age 20 where I 
decided I would swim again. I developed some sort of weird water anxiety where it would take me ages to calm down when I got in the water. I had no fear of jumping in and I had the ability to paddle around. But as soon as I'd get in the water, it's just like heart rate and breathing would just go out of control. Um, So Yeah, for me, there's something that seems to be like in a similar vein, seems to be getting worse as I get older about swimming in the ocean. Mm. Like it just is a terrifying concept that there's this whole other world that we don't really understand that I'm swimming in and like way out of place. I'm getting better at like calming that down and I still jump in. It's still a great time, but there's always just this underlying, I'm about to get eaten by a shark, even though I don't swim in places where people get eaten by sharks. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, it's weird. In, in 2018, I, I was convinced that I, I needed to uh, beat this thing because I didn't have like having a weakness or a perceived weakness. So I taught myself how to swim and learned all these breathing drills and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And seemed to, seemed to quash it but i did that in a pool and since then i haven't been back in the water so i don't know i don't know if it's good or not but and pools are way different to like the open ocean swimming in a river that sort of thing like there's something about water that you can't necessarily see the bottom of and you don't know what's (laughs) in it that makes it fractionally more terrifying Excellent. So what are we talking about from a serious powerlifting perspective? Yeah, well, um, one conversation that I seem to be having over and over and over and again uh, at the moment is, hey, I, I don't have any comps coming up or I want to do this comp and the comp gets canceled. It's like, oh, what do I do now? How do I manage my training? Um, thankfully, most people uh, that I work with have got access to gyms again, uh, RIP Melbourne. Um, and currently RIP my clients in New Zealand as well have gone back into lockdown for another two weeks. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, most people have got access to gym gyms again. The serious people that I coach in Melbourne went way out of their way to get gym equipment, so most people can still train. But, yeah, it mm. seems to be this, like, overhanging question of what the fuck am I supposed to do if I'm not working towards something? And uh, yep. I believe you've been hearing similar things. Yeah, man, exactly. I've had similar discussions, but more from a perspective of like people struggling with motivation and sort of discipline around getting the work done, knowing that there's this level of uncertainty about the comps, Mm. you know, like, yeah, we're either we're working towards something or like, I don't know if I am working towards something because I don't know what's happening. And I know I've personally always found I like I train better when I've got something to train for. Uh, so I can completely understand and empathize with that. But I think also there's an important discussion to be had around how you can focus and, and what you can focus on in a time like this where there is such a high level of uncertainty about whether we get to do comps this year or not. You know, mm-hmm. like I've still got four on our calendar for the year and so far it looks like the ACT, cross our fingers, is, is all right. But mm-hmm. who knows? You know, it's so such a crazy year that I just don't know uh, for a lot of it, what the answer is, but you know, I'm sure we can come up with a couple of good ideas. Yeah. I feel like there's a bit of uh, prevalence induced concept change going on here. Um, oh, uh, drops the big <laughs> words. Wow. Uh, the best part was the cocky smile that you got <laughs> as you were about to say that. I wish people could see that on video. That was the best part well, about that. John and I for were, those of you that don't know, Thomas definitely had to Google that <laughs> phrase in order to drop it on the podcast. Exactly. Yes. Prevalence induced concept change. Um, I read a book. Tell us about prevalence induced <laughs> concept change, I've, Thomas. I've learned a new term, so I'm gonna gonna be throwing it around. Like, oh, when, drop that shit into every sentence like, you have for the next seven days. Like when John learned esoteric and dropped it about fifteen times an episode oh, for such a three, a good word, three episodes. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you Google the blue, the blue dot concept or the blue dot effect, you'll learn about this. But basically, um, it's it's around the idea of creating a problem when when a problem is not there, or looking to find something. If you're looking for something, you'll you'll find it even if it's not there because you want to see it, kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's almost like, it's almost like confirmation uh, bias. I was right? literally saying that as you said that. Yeah, too fast. Um, Suck it yeah, it's, it's it's almost like confirmation bias, and I get the feeling that people are so. Uh, used to telling themselves, oh, I'm working towards this comp, that now that they don't have a comp, they need to, you know, create this state of panic rather than there actually being a problem with not having a comp. It's more like the um, the uncertainty of competitions is making people perceive it as a problem rather than relying on the fact that, okay, well, regardless of whether there's a good comp coming up or not, when comps are normally in place, this is how I train and this is how I approach training and progress over time. Um, so yeah. it's almost like an, an imagined problem just because um, in the absence of other problems, it's easy to create something to talk about. Yeah, and I think on some level where every, like everyone has dealt with some level of uncertainty, be it in training or in life or in work or whatever it is across the last fucking eight months. It doesn't feel like eight months. Oh, it no, feels like it a lot feels, longer than that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I think every, everyone's dealt with that on some level at this point. And for a lot of people, I know that powerlifting, training for powerlifting, competing, all of those things has been a really solid, and it certainly was for me, uh, a solid part of their sort of ongoing mental health, mm-hmm. uh, because it's something you can control and it's measurable and you can see the progress happening over time and all of these things that make it a really enjoyable process, being able to visualize it all, being able to know that like it's almost one for one in terms of the amount of work you put into the amount of result that you get on the other end. Uh, and then when you're dealing with having lost that because whatever that guiding light is uh has been thrown into there to add into then all the other uncertainty around whatever the fuck is going on in the world at the moment i think it's really easy to fall into the trap of just like panic and you know go a bit crazy because you don't know what's going on and and you've lost that thing that you felt like you had a lot of control over Mm. but i think like you said it's you haven't actually lost that much control you know like if you still have access to a gym and you can still train then ultimately it's not that different it just the end date that you know that thing has become a bit more vague but that doesn't mean the process itself changes that drastically Mm. i think you can still make progress over the course of weeks and months despite not necessarily knowing when you're going to compete next i think for a lot of people it's probably actually a, a healthy option to step away from the idea of pursuing just a a comp date at some point in the next six months and think more like hey take some time to spend six months building a base and then being able to work back towards a comp say next year at some point or something like that i think there's a lot of benefit from that it's just maybe sometimes hard to see through the craziness and the panic that is everything else that's going on yeah for sure what is that music that that's that's the music we use to uh keep my toddler asleep (laughs) he is he's currently napping uh a room and a half away from me and if i close the door then i won't hear him when he wakes up and i won't be able to run away from the podcast before we finish i think there are there are definitely people um, who need that sort of uh, solidarity that consistency that predictability in their lives and that need a competition date to work towards 
uh, to some degree or some sort of end date, whether it's a mock meet or whatever it may be. Um, but if you're in that situ situation and you've competed a few times, uh, don't take this the wrong way, but that's a real novice mindset. Like that, that really helps new people yeah. when they start out. Um, and if you're, you know, relatively experienced in the sense that you've done a couple of, you know, maybe state level comps, uh, you're not a novice anymore. So stop thinking like a novice. Just like you know, when you go from squatting 200 to 300, or um, you know, squatting 100 to 140, or whatever it may be. Uh, your warm-ups have to change because now you're lifting big boy or big girl weights. You need to warm up like a big boy or a big girl. Same thing with your mindset. Big person. If you're, uh, yeah, or person. Uh, when you're working towards uh, or if you're carrying that into your mindset and your mindset is such that you feel like you need to compete and you need to compete several times a year, you need to do every comp that comes up, that's, that's still that real novice mindset. Maybe this is a forced opportunity for growth. For sure. And, and I think it's really easy to fall into that trap in the like sort of the middle years of your powerlifting career. Mm -hmm. You know, you've been competing for a couple of years, but maybe you haven't been competing for like 10 years. And it's that window where you don't really know anything else other than the idea of like training for two comps a year or something like that. And so it's potentially just a bit of unknown in terms of how to structure it or, or what to focus on or, or, you know, what, what the right approach is. I mean, ultimately I don't think there's necessarily like a, a right approach for everyone. I think it's going to be very contextual based on uh, your own training history, based on your situation in terms of access to the gym and stuff like that. But um, it's certainly not an excuse not to make progress. Mm. I think like the, the inherent, um, underlying assumption that comes with it um, is that you need to do a one rep max to see your progress mm. um, which is what you were kind of alluding to earlier that you can still make make progress without having to express it in, in like a competition or one rep max scenario um, and yep. that that underlying assumption or that underlying mindset that comes with the novice approach um, is going to make you look for like i need to do a comp or i need to do a test day or something like that um, sometimes you're going to, or as part of your growth in this journey, you're going to have to shift that mindset to finding progress in other means, um, to seeing your, your technique improve over time to seeing, you know, the progress happen in your sets of eight that become, you know, cyclical and, and repetitive over, uh, blocks of training, maybe every three blocks of training, you return to eights or you return to sixes or whatever. As you see those things creep up and, and change and improve, uh, then you have a definitive marker of improvement to measure your progress by. You don't have to do it via a one rep max. Um, the yeah. big principle that, that I always come back to with my lift is, is that peaking doesn't make you any bigger. Peaking doesn't make you any stronger. Peaking in general is a waste of time uh, for, yep. for your overall progress. Uh, it's extremely important, yeah, for sure, when you're uh, when you're doing a max or when you're um, doing a competition. Hey, Huxley, what's up, boy? He's a, he can't hear you. I'm wearing headphones. He's a big boy. <laughs> he's a big boy. Um, anyway. Uh, what was I saying? Yeah, pe peaking in general, like, of course, it's important when you're maxing out. Uh, but if you're wanting to spend this time when there's no competitions doing frequent peaks, you're just shooting yourself in the foot. You're, you're, you're yep. taking time away from where the magic happens. Time and momentum as well. Yeah. Like, I think that's the thing about a, a period of training like this is you have such a 
good opportunity, especially if you're still having access to gyms and stuff, you've got an opportunity to build like weeks and weeks and months of consistent momentum behind your training. That then means when you do have a firm comp date, the slight shift you need to do from like all the base building stuff that you should be doing at a time like this to then shift it towards, okay, well now we're 12 weeks out you can just turn the gas up and go you know you don't have to then recreate all of that momentum again and take the time to build it back up you're there and ready to just turn the ship a little bit and go down that that new path yeah so from a practical standpoint you know if you're applying this to your own training everyone's going to have you know varying approaches to their understanding of of programming and principles that they drive their training with but for me and my lifters my lifters are going to spend most of the time between 70 and 87.5 percent um, now, obviously, over time, uh, the assumed max that you're working off is going to have to increase. We have to assume that you're getting stronger over time. But that's, that's, that's for me and my perspective, where the magic happens is, is in that sort of 70 to 87.5%. And it, once you start getting into 90% plus, you, you're really peaking. Um, and if anything, I would clarify that to be more like 70 to 85%. Um, so in terms of like the reps that you're using, um, you're very, very, very rarely, if ever, going above three reps, uh, below three mm-hmm. reps, sorry. Uh, you're very rarely doing doubles and singles. So you're living mostly in like sixes, fives, fours, threes, um, maybe doing some eights every now and then, uh, depending on... But not sevens, because that's the devil's number. Yeah, no one does sevens. Sevens is a, a weird number. I do program it in uh, hypertrophy phases sometimes. It's because you're a nutcase. Um, but yeah, uh, sevens, I don't mind. Nines, I... I, yeah, I've never. Nines, you may as well have done ten. <laughs> Nines, you may as well jump off a cliff. It's a useless number. It doesn't. No, it's pointless. Um, <clears throat> but seven's okay. Only because seven is my favorite number. Hence, Tom Bro seven. Really? Yeah. Mm, I thought it was just because you were the seventh Tom Bro on Instagram. No, no, because some bastard already had Tom Bro. I will find you and I will kill you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so in, in terms of practical reps, you're, you're living in that sort of three to eight rep range. Um, and depending yep. on your experience, if you're less experienced, probably in the higher reps, if you're more experienced in the lower reps, uh, but probably cycling through those rep ranges over sort of eight to 12 weeks at a time. Um, that's a really, really, really broad base approach of how I might take someone through it and how I'm taking myself through it at this time as well. Yeah, and look, that's almost verbatim how I'd do it. I'd tend to at a time like this for most of my sort of people that I would consider anywhere from complete novice to moderate level intermediates will take a little bit of time away from some of the direct barbell comp style stuff to give them a bit more variety. It's something to give you to like remove the ego aspect of training a little bit, because if I give you a lift that is, you know, some variation of a squat that either you haven't done for a while or you've not done before or is just much harder than a regular squat, then potentially you can have a shift in your perspective that allows you to see progress in a slightly different light. I think it's really easy at a time like this to fall into the trap of feeling like you're not as strong as you should be because for the exact reason you described as as peaking is a waste of time, the the training you're doing to get stronger is not conducive to expressing that strength at a higher output. And so it can sometimes feel like you're getting weaker or feel like you're not making any progress because you're so stuck in the mindset of only measuring your progress as a one rep max Mm. or what 95% feels like, you know? And I think in my experience, having 
options outside of just the competition lifts and not like i'm not saying complete completely drop barbells or anything like that but to give people variations of those movements that are targeted towards various weaknesses or or different ways of thinking about the movements themselves but it allows them to just turn away from the ego driven aspect of it a little bit and be able to reframe some of that progress in a way that i think is is really useful uh then obviously you've got to account for a little bit longer coming on the other end of the scale in order to transfer all of those new skills and strengths back to the the barbell lifts. So mm-hmm. there's definitely a trade-off there, but I think it can be a really useful option for someone who feels like they're struggling with the idea of not being as strong as they're used to being. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we've unpacked this before. We have a training mindset episode. If you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to that because that'll and give you a lot deeper insights into into what we think on this yep. subject but uh, that that idea of like uh, that psychology around feeling weights is is so important if you're a if you're a squatter that squats 200 kilos as a max and you spend most of your time in the 90 percent plus range if you're spending your time at 180 plus a lot of the time um you know 140 to you is going to be a warm-up and so your your psychology attached to that is that it's easy it's an easy warm-up i do it's first thing on the way up now you're doing 70% for sets of six. Now 70% is a is no longer a, a or that 140 is no longer a warm up. It's your working weight. You're doing sets of six for maybe like six sets of six, and now it feels fucking heavy. Uh, yeah, you yeah. really have to shift your mindset around like, um, and, and again, this is such an opportunity for growth from that novice mindset or even from that intermediate mindset upper upper level. Like to me, the real big difference between intermediate and advanced is learning to completely emotionally and psychologically disconnect from the number that's on the bar and just look at training as doing work with resistance. Uh, and yeah. you know the power of doing work and the power of doing consistent work um, is is going to be the key driver to your progress and. Um, yeah, sure, absolutely. There should be uh, progress in terms of the number on the bar, um, but I would argue like a really, really just high value principle that comes with that is just doing work. Is just doing mm. more work with resistance over and over and over consistently. That's going to be the real drive of your progress. Um, if there is no progress in terms of the number on the bar, maybe you need to reevaluate the work that you're doing. Uh, yeah, there should be some, and not just the there. amount of it but the way you're doing it, like the intent behind it, all of those sort of things. Cause I think it's really easy to do a lot of work and then not see a direct translation into your one rep max squat. Cause you've neglected the fact that this work has to come with some skill. Hmm. It can't just be mindless grind. It has to be work that is directed towards the adaptation you're trying to make. And we've got, you know, we've got weight sets and reps. Uh, there's three variables. It's not just the one variable of the weight on the bar. Um, mm-hmm. If you go through a training cycle and the next training cycle you go through, you manage to add a set of the same reps or a rep to each set with the same weight, that's progress. Uh, Even the same weight, the same number of reps and sets, but done to a technically higher standard is progress. Done better, done relatively easier. Uh, you know, yeah. there's, It's not just about the absolute number on the bar. Yeah, and that's where I think it's important to, and we've definitely touched on this, I think in the training mindset one as well, on the idea of uh, like a a process-orientated mindset rather than an outcome-orientated mindset. So that novice uh, sort of mindset that you talked about where it's all about comps and and pushing towards a comp is an outcome-orientated mindset. You're working towards an end date that is an outcome. You're, You're shooting for PBs or whatever it may be. 
Uh, and that can be detrimental in the long term because there's a point in everyone's training career where you're just not going to get any stronger anymore. Mm. You're on the downhill slope, so to speak. Um, and that's the reality of life. Uh, and if you're not prepared for that at some point and something like a time like this can prepare you for that if you let it shift your mindset into a process oriented mindset so that's one where the the focus is not on the end result but on the journey which is a cliched bullshitty way to say it sometimes but it's a cliche for a reason right mm-hmm. that it's not just about doing all this work so that you can enjoy the outcome the the process is the work and and being able to be present in doing that with the intent that it deserves with the the focus and uh the effort that it deserves but also noticing the little things in day-to-day habits and progress like that's the stuff that if all you're ever focused on is the end result that comp day that pb on the platform you can miss a lot of the really good stuff in training that is seeing the progress week to week day to day being able to look back on your training and go hey this time last year i did this same weight for four and now i'm doing it for comfortable sets of six like missing those little things because all you're looking at is the two to three times a year you're actually on a platform Mm. um that can be really hard but it also allows you to be freed slightly from the emotional baggage that comes with a shitty comp performance because it's really easy to do a whole training cycle, miss two key PB lifts at a comp, and therefore see the whole thing as waste, as a wasted training cycle where you've made no progress because all you judge the success on that process, uh, the success of that process on is the outcome of the comp, not the process itself. And I think that can be detrimental to how you perform in the long term. For sure. Um, I, I think as well, uh, it is important that we clarify that we, we get this. We're not just speaking out of our ass. Like, no. we, we've, we've lived and breathed this for a long time and we've had this experience uh, way before COVID was a thing. Um, yeah, yeah. It was self-imposed, not, <laughs> yeah. not externally uh, externally driven. Yeah, because, I mean, the same principle is going to apply in so many circumstances, like in, in terms of you know, life-changing, injuries. life-changing injuries where you can't train. It's yeah. going to happen over and over. Because, I don't know. I, I don't want to sound too salty, but there's a lot of people that are being very dramatic about this situation. Um, and yeah. it's like, don't come and be dramatic to me about the fact that you can't train. My livelihood literally rides on the uh, rides on the edge of people being being able to train. If people cannot yeah. train, I can't eat. You know, so yeah, so trust exactly. me, we understand. We understand this yeah. very well. We understand the frustration with gyms being closed because they're the things that keep us alive. So yeah, uh, we get it. Yeah, and it's it's only from a place of wanting people to be able to see past the immediate uncertainty and lack of control and be able to see that I hate the idea of taking a positive spin on things. Cause I think there's a lot of people that do that, that are just wankers. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we will get through this at some point. Life will maybe look a little bit different, but powerlifting comps will happen regularly again at some point in the future. Uh, and we'll be able to look back on this and hopefully be able to look back on this whole period and be able to go, yeah, like I'm, I grew through that. I made some progress. It, it might not be astronomical. It, it might only be small things, but that doesn't mean you can't get something that is a net positive out of the whole experience. Uh, but you have to step through the emotional drama of 
whinging about your gym being closed or not being able to make training um, and be able to grow from that. Absolutely. And um, I, don't, I don't have a great deal of extra to say on the subject. I, I think it's uh, important we keep this short and sweet because you have daddy duties. <laughs> yes, he, he hasn't come in yet. I haven't heard from him, so he's still he's asleep. ticking time bomb over there. Basically, he had a huge tantrum before he went to bed, so I wasn't certain we were going to be able to record this. But look, here we are. Yes, indeed. All right. Excellent. Well, share it with your friends. Yes. Tell your mum. Buy some coffee from Prism. Exactly. I think the code is now just peak speak. Just peak speak. Hit it. Hit it. Get some coffee in your gullet. Amazing.